Hi. Today we're going to be talking to one of my longtime friends, Courtney Simross. I met Courtney a long time ago when we were just in middle school, and we've been able to see each other grow up, get educations, and become adults. In this episode, we did talk with Courtney about their experience as a speech-language pathologist, how they got into this field, intersecting identities, and what they've been up to recently. Thank you for listening. So, Courtney, I have known you since, um, I don't know even how long. Like, I feel like I've known you for so long. Like, probably when I was in middle school, I know knew you. I feel like this feels the same with, like, a lot of people at Dorfism. It's like, we all knew each other on social media. So, the, like, yeah. actual meeting point is blurred. And, like, it's <laughs> and sometimes we don't. So, yeah, it's very weird. It's weird. But I've known you for a very long time. And what are you doing now? Um, or what have you, can you tell me about your your career or what your education was in? My education was in speech language pathology. I have been a speech language pathologist for five years now. I would have been going on school year number six. Um, but I am not currently uh, working as a speech language pathologist, which I'm sure we will get into. But that's kind of where I went with my education and my career. Fair. Awesome. And for grad school, how many years of school did you have to do for to become a speech language pathologist? Um, it was two years total. It was a year and a half um, in the classroom and then a half of year internship. Cool. Very cool. What was your internship like? Um, it was a lot of fun. Our my graduate program required an internship in an education setting and an internship in a medical setting. So I did half my time in a rehab facility. Um, I saw mostly patients who were recovering from strokes or car accidents, um, mm -hmm. other things that impacted the language and cognition. Um, and then I worked alongside a school speech language pathologist for the other half and saw um, elementary kids, so kindergarten through fifth grade. Awesome. Love that. Love that. Um, and as someone with dwarfism, what do you feel like are the specific speech or language issues that tend to be more prevalent in the dwarfism community? I can't say for certain that I've ever seen like hard and fast data on okay. um, any kind of correlation. And I think one, it might just be something that has a lot of information about, but two, because there's so many different types of dwarfism and they all present in so many different ways. Um, I mean, like I had speech growing up as a person with dwarfism also, um, but it was for like low muscle tone weakness and uh, my speech was super gibberishy and sloppy, sloppy and my parents couldn't understand me. So they uh, took me for a speech, um, but it wasn't necessarily 100% correlated to having dwarfism. So the main things I can think of um, could be impacted by having dwarfism um, is low muscle tone as a child. Um, also hearing loss is 
somewhat prevalent in the dwarfism community. And so when there's hearing loss, there's typically some kind of influence on communication. Um, so when that is prevalent, that can have some impact, not necessarily, but that's the two things I could think of really that would have any kind of overlap. That's a really good point. I haven't thought of that. Like a lot of LPs, I feel like have hearing issues, whether from like whatever surgeries or having tubes in their ears, but a lot of, wow, that's a really good point. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, I guess I could have specified in my five years of my career so far, I actually have only ever worked in minus internship with the deaf and hard of hearing population. So I was a speech language pathologist for deaf and hard of hearing students. Um, And that was one kind of fun topic of conversation. Um, I got very involved in the deaf community um, and still am. I have a lot of great friends that keep me connected. Um, But when people ask like, why did I, why was I interested in learning sign language? Or did I ever know someone who was deaf before my career? Um, And they're always intrigued to know the first deaf person I knew actually also had dwarfism. And I met her from a little person convention not anything to do with being deaf um and then years later ended up working in the deaf community so it's kind of a cool small world moment that is re- whoa that's really cool and i like yeah. the added layer of like the deaf community like that is also a really represented community in the disability world and so i think that's a really added fun cool overlap there that you got to kind of be in both both worlds of that um yeah. So were you, what was that role like different from like the speech language pathologist you would see in an elementary school or something like that? That's a good question. Uh, Cause people would often be like, well, you work with students who are deaf. Like, what do you do? Like, do you t- teach them to talk? Um, yeah. And so like there is traditional speech therapy for um, deaf people. Um, there is a lot of up and coming research and experiences when you talk with deaf adults that actual traditional speech therapy is very problematic and usually comes from a very ableist um, or oddist perspective in that deaf people have to talk in order to communicate with others around them, be successful, et cetera, and lots of other assumptions. Um, but my role specifically was more um language therapy through sign language so i'm fluent in american sign language and um, the vast majority of my students on my caseload not only were deaf but also had additional disabilities beyond being deaf um i had students with down syndrome i had students with autism um i had students with craniofacial abnormalities that impacted how they communicate and then all encompassing almost my entire caseload of students also had what we call language deprivation, um, which comes from deaf and hard of hearing babies growing up in hearing families that don't learn sign language and that like delays their communication for such a long time because you learn to speak from your parents. Um, and if you can't communicate with your parents and your parents can't communicate with you, puts them at a very unfair um, disadvantage in acquiring communication. So my job, um, while I had traditional speech goals for some of my students was more so language exposure um communication breakdown repair strategies how to solve your way through communicating um in real life situations in my five years i worked with preschool through all the way through senior in high school so 
kind of the very specifics changed based on age, um, but a lot of very life skill, functional tasks, communication skills. Sounds good. I, I appreciate that. That's a really good breakdown and something I would have thought of. Um, but also sounds like a very evolving role. Like it seems like you're, you're working like different people and like they have different goals and they have different needs or different accessibility concerns. Like, I feel like you'd have to be always learning, like always on your feet. For sure. Yeah. Um, it was very like jump in. Hands on. Um, I learned something new every day from my students and I love them very, very dearly. Um, but definitely important to take that kind of whole person approach and kind of figure out what's important to their lives and what makes them unique to who they are and address it from there. I love that. I love that. And I hate when people ask me this question, so I, I like twinge when I say this to you, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Do you feel like you're, as a dwarf, like it makes it easier to like have a relationship with other disabled students or like kids? Yes, I think so. Um, even when working with people who don't have dwarfism, obviously I can't be like, I in no way understood what it's like to be deaf or I know in no way understand what it's like to have down syndrome. Um, but I very much understand the barriers that we all face every day in a world that's definitely not accessible, um, to its best capacity. So I feel like I very much understood the social emotional aspect of whether that was the frustration or, um, like the different barriers faced in society against people with any kind of disability, I very much was able to relate to. Um, I also often applied my own like perspective or my own recollection of growing up in the education system and what I wish you know educators would have done for me or what I wish my parents would have advocated more for or what I liked and didn't like and tried to take that into perspective too. And now I get to be the educator for these students and how could I be more empathetic or more understanding um, give them more dignity, all the things that I wish maybe were different or highlighted differently, I was able to apply that. That's a great answer. Thank you. Very well thought out. All of your answers are so well, like, educated. I had my questions written and I'm still, like, stuttering them and, like, really saying them. And you're like, yes, this is a very professional and academic answer. And I love that. Thank you. Oh, my gosh. It's mostly just because I'm passionate about it, things like this. Um, mean a lot to me so I found it easy to talk about that's awesome I love that um I'm gonna shift into the, the more like your experience um can you if you're comfortable tell me a little bit about your own mental health and what if you have had any symptoms of mental health and if they are related to dwarfism in any way for sure um I very much am how, what, I, what, what did I even say? I was going to say involved in mental health. That's not what I did. I very much have mental health needs or it's very much um, prevalent in my life. Mm -hmm. um, I first became aware of it actually as I was transitioning from high school to college. Um, mental health in my life presented as like physical medical symptoms that couldn't be explained. Um, I wish at that time it was just more talked about that how mental health um, concerns can show up 
in your life in that way because uh, it led me down a very long road of like what is wrong with my actual body <laughs> and it was um anxiety and depression um at first i didn't like 100 percent attribute it to also dwarfism um i very much could see it pump up in ways of just like general um overwhelm and stress and concern about being a good student and going away to college and all of the life changes um now that i look back at almost 30 i can very very much clearly see the connections that um dwarfism had on my life and then um the mental health conditions that i developed and how those were tied to experiences i had or perspectives i had um things that people said to me or acted around me as a person with dwarfism or as a person with a disability in general um and then it has been a very interesting kind of evolving thing to watch in my life um my mental health concerns are very prevalent in my life as an adult right now more than ever before um when i look back and one it's very obvious right now in my um leaving my job situation my mental health was very much a factor in that, um, which we can get into in other questions or other ways. Um, but I am very much have learned a lot more about my mental health and how my brain kind of works. Um, I also identify as being neurotypical. So that is another kind of facet in what makes me who I am. Um, and so in just figuring out how my brain works, maybe why I think in certain ways that I do um, based upon experiences I had growing up and then also genetically in my family, how uh, mental health has kind of shown up in my family and what that could have had an impact on me. Um, but I'm very transparent about my experiences and um, what I do for my mental health. I am very active in therapy, um, which I very, very, much come to love as a tool that is very helpful for me. Um, I also take medication um, and I'm very transparent about that when um, that often gets kind of, you know, I've seen a lot of negative stigma around that and I'm not afraid to kind of let other people know. Um, I talk a lot about the benefits of community that has on my mental health and finding other people and talking to other people and being open and sharing about um, some of the things I've experienced makes it feel a little bit more manageable. So I'm not afraid to share any of that either. Yeah, fair. I feel really similar to that. I'm always like, I'm a Lexapro girly. Like that's that's what I'm on. And um, yeah, it's it's kind of fun to destigmatize it and like share what your your stuff is and be be transparent. Um, it's, it's cool. I, yeah, good job. That's great. And I like how you reflected on like just the overall body stuff that comes up in middle school and like how a lot of us dwarfs have that kind of double. Like not only do we have regular body issues that everybody in middle school has, but we have it like a completely different body than everybody else. And it it almost feels like a losing battle because you're like, oh, I literally can't do anything to like make myself different. So it's... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, those body issues are pretty rough in middle school. Um, you mentioned your resignation, um, elephant in the room. Let's talk about it. <laughs> oh, no, uh, for sure. You resigned from your job, or like that was it was in quotations, or like it it might have been quit. There was. Do you have a word that you describe for it now? 
Um, I still feel like resigned is the word I use. Um, I feel like it just comes with a caveat that like, I loved my job and I wish I could have kept doing it. Um, and that like people have often asked me, especially my coworkers, especially people who knew the complexities of my job separate from the experiences I had um, in congruence with my dwarfism, um, of like, oh, your job was stressful. Oh, um, a lot of people are leaving the education system. Um, there's very much a movement happening in education to um, kind of highlight the needs of educators and different people who work in the field. Like my job as a speech language pathologist was stressful in and of itself and that came with complexities and things that I wish could have changed or been different. Um, but I still stand strong on the fact that I think all of those things were manageable um, had my energy not been having to been used on what felt like basic survival at my job. So um, the stories are long and complex. Um, but essentially, um, it came down to students' behavior towards me as a person with dwarfism or as a disabled person um, became a very large, overwhelming piece of my everyday life at my work. Um, and that once I became aware of some of the thoughts or ideas or opinions that students had, um, it was then, how should I say this? I became more cognizant of how I should look out for myself to try to prevent those things from happening. Um, I learned the very hard way after giving so much of my energy and my time uh, and my just emotions in trying to prevent things from happening and just accepting like there was nothing I could do on my end of things that would ever stop the things that students did or said towards me and that I used up so much of my time every day in trying to, I changed my schedule, changed my routine, would avoid certain places at certain times. I would do things certain ways. My day was very, very calculated um, in trying to basically avoid mainstream students. I call them mainstream students. That means it was nothing ever caused by the students I was assigned to work with. Um, I definitely had a home students very near and dear to my heart. And um, it just goes to show after five years working with them, I never once had a concern with any single one of them ever understanding who I was or what role I had or um, accepting me or um, anything like that. Uh, it was students who never interacted with me, never had me for services. We're just out and about in the school. So it became uh, unavoidable in my buildings every day. It started at a high school. I kind of fought it. I'll use the word fight for a couple of years and hoping to stay there. And then I ended up no longer working there and transitioning to a different building, um, which was a middle school. And then my elementary students got moved to a middle school part of the building due to space and budget and all the different red tape that you run into in the education system. So I was every day, five days of the week in a middle school setting between two buildings and issues were prevalent at both of those buildings. And 
basically after a very long struggle with administration, trying to get them to understand why I was so concerned for my physical safety, um, ultimately kind of peaking at a time that physical contact was made between students and my body um, and the lack of resolution after that. I just had to really listen to my body. Um, I worked this job for five years and for four of those years, it was very, very clear that issues were present. I think my first year, I'm sure things were happening that I either looked past or thought it was just because I was new or was just so in love with my job and so excited. I was willing to kind of push through. Um, after four years, things took a really hard toll on my physical health and my body. Um, and somehow those are feel harder to ignore than mental health um, concerns that are popping up. People don't see those, um, they're easier to hide. But when my physical body started giving out, I had to get real honest um, with myself, my family, um, my staff, that um, I always knew that there was a link. It took other people a very long time or a hard time to accept that it was likely what was happening every day at my work causing my physical symptoms. Um, so this past year, I went through a lot of changes myself. Um, I got married. I, um, we have a dog, like just kind of going through life when I'm almost 30, which is, um, I just had to get real honest with myself and my own priorities that as much as I loved my students, as much as I loved my school and staff and coworkers, um, I don't know, this just felt like a really big opportunity to finally choose myself and finally take care of myself. Um, so I left my job. Um, it was very hard. It is still very hard. Um, but I can already tell in the ways my body is responding that it was the right decision for me. Um, so here I am. I don't really know what's next for me. Um, but right now I'm just kind of listening to myself and what I need. Um, I just spend time and space away from something that ended up being yeah. Well, shit, man. I'm sorry you had to go through that. Like, sorry I had to get so bad for like you to get any re resolution, and you had to create the resolution for yourself, which was like, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. Fuck. Like, that's. I feel really beat down for you, and I don't know if that's how you feel, but like, that's just really aggravating. Yeah, in the end, I was mostly just exhausted um, and also very much frustrated mm -hmm. in that, like, I felt like I couldn't just do my job I was hired to do. And I echoed that, like, so many times with my, staff, my supervisor and the organization I worked for yeah. of, like, I'm not even doing the job you all paid me to be here for. I'm basically acting as my own security and as my own advocate and I don't know the other hats that I had to put on for myself during that time to, um, to, I don't know, this feels like a really strong set of words, but it also feels right. Like save my own life while I was just showing up to also just do this job that at the end of the day does not matter as much as my own physical safety. So it was very frustrating and very exhausting. Um, I'm sure as time and space continues, more thoughts will pop up. Um, for right now, I'm settling into almost 
three weeks or so of I would have gone back to school and I haven't. So it's interesting, interesting to see just how my body continues to respond with a lot more peace in my life. How is your body responding, if I may ask? Um, the best way I can describe it is just like so quiet and calm. Um, I'm very much in tune to like frequencies and vibrational, I don't know, feelings you get in certain places. Um, I learned a lot about myself and how my own body felt in times of calm and in times of stress. Um, and just like, I'm just in pure shock of how calm and quiet my body is versus when I was in some really deep shit at work. So I don't know, I'm just gonna keep rolling with it because this feels really nice and it feels like I have not experienced this in a very, very long time. Yeah, and this is your interview. So like not to make it about turn the camera to me, but like I relate to so much of that. I um, was, I'm a career change. I was a in the zoo, I was a zookeeper for a while and like just the toll it took on me similarly to you to be my own bodyguard and like I was getting paid to be a zookeeper but I was doing so much interaction with the public and like education and advocating for my own self that it was like I wasn't even doing anything productive at the end of the day like I was just I wasn't like I would be holding animals or doing things with animals and all people would want to say do is like talk about the dwarfism or like and it was getting so bad that I was getting harassed and I would like ask for support and like they'd be like they're guests like make a map like it's just like the same I'm assuming your administrative felt like or like gave you and I I don't know what they said to you but it's just kind of like placating like what are you gonna do like this is our business we're in school like I don't it's just yeah, and it feels like you're not a person in those moments, and you're like, I I don't feel like I'm crazy here. Like I feel like I'm advocating for something really, like, basic. But like, yeah, and it's a really horrible emotion to feel like personally vulnerable because of something that you can't control. Like, uh, like I don't know, like. Yes. And it's also weird because it's not like we are protected, but not like that much. So if it was like a race thing or if like, like there was some other thing, like some th clear physical thing, but there's not. So it's, yeah, not, I, I echo your, your experience a lot. Um, and it, it sucks. I feel this so deeply <laughs> and it can very much empathize yeah. with your experience, unfortunately, I can literally imagine myself in it because um, it probably felt very similar. Yeah. Um, and the frustrations, I feel like I could have a whole other podcast on just the topic of dwarfism not fitting enough into the disability category, but definitely not protected in everyday life, understood, accepted in this weird middle ground of like, I feel like people grow up and it's inherently taught that like, you shouldn't laugh at somebody who's using a wheelchair, somebody that has lost a limb, but that, that feels like, or like you shouldn't take pictures of old people because they're moving differently out in public. I feel like this is just like this inherent, like, no, to be a good person, you wouldn't do that. 
and dwarfism feels falls in this weird middle ground of like uh, we're different like but don't really know why or like I don't know it feels in this such unprotected category um and I argue that so many times in my job what I found it so hard for people to understand was the, the specifics of what students were doing or saying um I'm not going to share today but are just so clearly targeted only towards people with dwarfism. And it was so hard for people to understand why those things are so problematic um, in that it's not just like not being kind. It's not just um, laughing because someone's different or not understanding disabilities. It's so targeted towards our very, God, for lack of a better word, small population um, in the like nuances of that I struggled with so much in, I just felt like I, I I yelled so much of like, this is only because I have dwarfism, not only because I have dwarfism, but like, this is so problematic and so targeted and so hard for you to understand. Um, and so still disconnected from bullying or problems towards any problematic behaviors towards any other disabled people. So this weird middle ground, I feel like I could talk forever and the weird intricacies of talking with people with dwarfism who use mobility aids and it makes their disability look a little bit more like what you might see in a movie or a book or in media. Um, there's just so, ugh, there's so much around that topic I could further talk about, but for now, <laughs> I just feel you so deeply on having to accept the, the job we are supposed to be showing up and getting paid to do every day gets so quickly overwhelmed or like honestly taken over that we don't even get to show our skills. We don't even get to represent these degrees that we hold um, because people have such a problem with seeing us in public spaces. Yeah. Um, yeah. I There's so much we could say about this, actually. There's like 3,000 things going to my brain. But I I echo all of what you just said. Um, and there's like specific things people can do that like only affect disabled, like dwarfs. Um, I'll bring up an incident Alex had one time where a guy jumped over him like publicly. And like we called the police because and like they were like, well, like, he just jumped over you. And it's like, yeah, but you don't understand. Like, there's, like, nuance there. And it was, like, specifically because we were a dwarfism. And they're like, we're not going to do anything. Like, we're not investigating. Granted, it's Seattle Police Department. And they were, like, dealing with murders and stuff. So, like, I get it to a certain extent. But also, like, it's just, like, the, the we in the community know that it's bad. But, like, explaining it to other people is such a disenfranchising like, experience because you're like, this is fucked up. And, like, people are like, well, I don't really get it. So, yeah, there's a lot there. Um, and, yeah, when you spend 40 plus thousand dollars on grad school and you're, like, trying to use your brain and people are making that hard for you, it's it's very... Because you're told, like, you can be normal, like, if you go to school and, like, work hard, like, you will, it doesn't matter. You're smart as everybody, but it's like, but you're not at the same time because you're not, 
these experiences are only happening to you. Um, just wild. Um, and thank you for sharing all of that. I'm so glad that you're getting peace now. Like, that's so great for you. I love that. I love that your body feels quiet and calm. That's how it should be. Yes, and I feel like I've lived so long in not peace, um, even aside from this job, things I experienced in college or um, growing up out in public, things like that, that people with dwarfism, I don't know, we almost just attribute it to like, it's everyday life, like it's going to keep happening um, and just kind of rolling with the punches that having no idea how much impact that has on your mental health for experiencing something chronic versus acute um, and how much like you're not realizing that even if it's oh I've, i'm used to this, this has happened before um whatever you call it still has still carries in your body um i'm very much a believer in like your body always knows and even before your brain does so for me just knowing how my body felt when i was showing up to my job every day or even the night before a sunday before going back to work on a monday worst person to be like in my own body um and now to imagine like pure just calm body that feels safe um almost upsets me that it took this long and this much trauma to like make that make sense in my own brain yeah yeah i'm glad that you had that time of self-reflection and validation but like yeah, you shouldn't have been alone in that. So um, thank you for sharing that. Uh, if you're comfortable, I'd like to talk about your wedding, if you're fine with that. Um, sure. Yeah. Cool. Um, you, I love that so, there's, you're, you're not special in this way. You, you're queer and, and, and it'll work. Um, but I love that, like, one time I went to the Rainbow Room, and there was, like, five people there, and they were all, like, 50 years old, and I'm like, oh, this is queer representation in LBA, this is everybody who's queer, and, like, it was just, like, very kind of disheartening and, like, depressing, and, like, then, like, you and other people and, like, started coming out as queer, and I was like, oh my god, this is so cool, like, I love this. How did you meet your partner and what can you tell me a little bit about the relationship of like being queer in LPA if you're comfortable sharing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we'll get to the wedding. We'll get to Mariah. But first I'll talk about kind of, I don't know, my experience sure. or how I got here, I guess. Um, also, just to state this in case I forget, mm -hmm. I feel it's worth noting that I have not been out as queer in a space with other little people ever, because one, I just haven't, and this is complex, haven't been involved in LPA events in person for a very long time, since before I graduated high school. So a lot has changed since then. I don't wanna say I wasn't queer then, you always are who you are, um, but I didn't kind of, live that truth um or know that about myself or have figured that out yet so i do look forward to the day i get to return to lpa and experience that um but i will say so i'll i'll speak more broadly not just as a person with dwarfism and being queer but as just a disabled person 
and being queer. Um, it's a very complex intersection um, in that um, someone very close to me said it best, and I continue to just say it exactly how they said it um, because it made so much sense in my head. And I felt very, very validated when they said it. Um, the line was like the disabled community knows how queer we are, but the queer community has no idea how disabled they are. Um, and that hit very home in the very unfortunate reality that the queer community still has a ton of ableism um, and still experience a lot of um, access issues. And I always grew, grew up thinking that the queer community or any marginalized community, really any marginalized group should be more accepting of my dwarfism than the general public. Um, so I have always in my entire life navigated towards marginalized groups. Um, I just feel a little bit more of a sense of community, even if it's one that I don't belong to, um, in more of this, like, we're all in this together. Like I'm different. You're different. We're different for different reasons. This must make sense. We, we mo must both be picking up on this. <laughs> um, so then when I came out and was actively involved in the queer community and going to events and stuff, I felt such this, like, eagerness towards like oh and then i also won't face the shit i face because i have dwarfism everywhere else um and that wasn't true that was a hard thing to accept um it is less it is not completely gone um even in dating i was like you know back, i don't want to say back then when i dated boys men whatever I always found my dwarfism um, to be much more topic of conversation, much more barrier to cross over, much more influenced in who talked to me, who didn't. Um, and then when I started dating the whole rainbow, um, I found people so much more interested in just like, so much more about you than how you physically appear. Um, so there's been many different times and experiences in the queer community, um, both with my partner and just with friends and different connections I've made that feels like we're all kind of in this sense of, also in the ownership of taking back the word queer, meaning like not straight, not like everybody else, um, feels more fun, more creative, more, I don't know, exciting to talk about all of the different ways that you're different, not just in who you're dating and not just what you look like or not just um, what a disability you have. So it comes up, I feel like more easily in conversation or not, like you just live on your life without making it a barrier. Um, I don't know if all those words just made sense. That kind of felt like word vomit, but um, in meeting my partner, uh, my wife, oh, ooh, that still feels, silly to say my wife um her name is mariah and we met online um in online dating on hinge to be specific a lot of people have asked have been curious um we had a very fun realization in kind of matching with each other and beginning to talk in realizing that we had several mutual friends so it's a very like small world thing um she 
so I went to college in the Quad Cities, the Quad Cities, two cities in Iowa and Illinois, across the Mississippi River. And then I graduated and left. And while I was there as in a sorority, and one of my sorority sisters graduated and stayed and went to the chiropractic school there and began to play rugby. My wife is a chiropractor who plays rugby, who went to the same school in the Quad Cities. So it was this cool chance of fate that like we connected and then in getting to learn about each other, realized we had crossed, we, the two of us had never crossed paths, but so many of our circles like interconnected. It was, it was really cool experience, but um, we're married as of hardly a month, um, but it has been a very fun adventure. We have a dog together as all couples start out doing um, when you want to feel a little grown up. Um, yeah, there's still a lot to be said. Again, how many podcasts can we make? I don't know. Um, about like us being an enabled couple. Um, my wife, for those of you who are listening who don't know, she does not have dwarfism. She's out of stature. Um, and how we've navigated that, how we've navigated other people's questions and opinions and things um, has been interesting, but I think just learning more as we go. Um, I feel like we are very much like just open-minded, see what happens kind of couple um, that have both learned a lot about each other. So it's very interesting kind of intersection to live at, especially when my partner is not around. Um, and what I mean by that is, a lot of people assume I'm straight um, and I acknowledge that I have that privilege that when I am not in queer spaces or when I am and don't have money or people don't know about the relationship, um, it is interesting to see the difference. Um, not that I have had too many negative experiences about me being queer. Mostly in my life, if I look back, a lot of negativity or traumatic experiences or problematic things come from actually my dwarfism not being queer. So it's very interesting to see, like I will never ever be able to hide my dwarfism um, and how much more prevalent that is and how people interact with me um, and how much less prevalence me being queer is when people get to know me or meet me or see how good of a job I'm doing in my everyday job, things like that. Um, that is a very interesting between being invisible, quote unquote, invisible versus having the privilege that people don't automatically assume I'm queer versus they will always know I'm disabled. Great answer. I love that. Oh, yeah. Can you, I don't know if you knew you were queer when you were an LPA, but can you share why you didn't show up like that? Or, um, and if, that's not an answer. Can you share why you haven't been back to LPA since coming out? I will tell you that me being queer out or not is not an influence of me being involved in LPA or not. Both just happen to be like the same time. happen at the same time. Yeah. Um, did I know myself that I was queer when involved in LPA? Yes, to a certain degree. I think more I look back now and like now that it makes sense in my head, I look back now and I'm like, oh, I always was like there's so many things that uh, make sense in my life or like looking back why I did or thought or said or whatever. 
Um, but I don't ever remember a moment of being present in LPA and feeling like I couldn't share that or that I couldn't um, be that true. True self doesn't feel like the right words to use. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. I just never, also like my age and just like, I hadn't gone to college yet by the time I stopped going to LPA events and college was really pivotal for me as in most queer people in like figuring out yourself and um, I hate when people say like, oh, exploring in college because that feels really belittling to like actually just living your experiences in college and dating and being with whoever you want. Um, ex the word exploring feels like a lot more for straight people who just like want to laugh and say that they have sex with somebody yeah. of the same gender. Yeah. Um, so I, I try to avoid that word, but I feel like it's just coincidental in that with age and experience, I wasn't out when I was involved in LPA, but I want to highlight it wasn't because I didn't think it was safer the right time. It wasn't in a negative reason. Um, my kind of stepping back from LPA came more from priority of time um, and energy and not feeling like I was getting out of convention what I thought the main purpose of the LPA was supposed to be in kind of community building. Um, I felt like, but again, also for my age, if you consider I was in high school, middle school, high school, um, friendships ebbing and flowing, your home experience being so different than your convention experience ebbing and flowing. So many different changes were, were popping up that I felt like taking a step back and reevaluating myself before I show up into a space that I want to build community in as someone who didn't feel very secure in myself. Um, so I very much intend to and look forward to I feel like returning is not the right word because I also have very great connections I've maintained um, on social media, online, um, with the dwarfism community that it doesn't really feel like I'm not involved. It's just that I have not, my body has not shown up to a convention um, to be present there in a while. So, yeah, more coincidental no, than great. anything. I was just like, wonder if there's a overlap, but that was great. Thank you for sharing your very transparent answer. Um, in your professional opinion, what are some important areas for research and advocacy when it comes to improving the mental health and well-being of individuals with dwarfism? Um, okay, I have a lot of thoughts on this. Sorry. I'll try to summarize. Um, Research-wise, I hate to use the word would love to, I was about to say, I would love to see because that feels unfair. I would be interested in seeing more research around people with dwarfism and trauma that they've experienced in their lives, whether that be from medical complexities. A lot of us grow up having surgeries and going to the doctor a lot. Um, I know there's a lot of talk recently that I've seen about reflecting on our childhoods and wishing like we didn't have to be so open to doctors wanting to see us and learn from our bodies and things like that. Um, I think that definitely has a toll on mental health. So I would love to see some kind of um, diagram of 
I don't know, causation correlation of like growing up with medical complexities and then added with the barriers we face in everyday life based upon society's opinions of us and perspectives of us and then how that kind of all accumulates. Um, I obviously don't want to say you can never take a brush and make a wide stroke that all people with dwarfism have some kind of mental health component to their lived experiences. Um, obviously, there's going to be some that don't, but I would, in my very educated brain, think that there has to be some kind of um, correlation that I think would just be interesting to learn from. Um, I also want to touch on the topic that, like, I don't know if it's generational. I don't know who started it. But I very much grew up hearing from LPA. Um, I guess I don't want to tag LPA in there. Um, hearing from the dwarfism community. I don't want to blame that on somebody that I don't know if they actually created it. The phrases or the, like, words used in trying to gain acceptance of, like, oh, I have dwarfism. I can do everything you can just differently. Or um, one that was really given to me when I was young in trying to explain my differences to other people of like dwarfism only affects my bones. Like I like doesn't infect my brain. It doesn't affect how I think or speak. Like I can do everything else. Comes with such this internalized ableist component of like that I'm learning so much more about as an adult looking back of like, why are we so afraid that dwarfism could have any more beyond just our bones or why why do we have to say that we can do everything else? Like, why would it be such a shame if there was more impact that dwarfism had? And I feel like grasping at straws of like, I have dwarfism, but like, it's not going to hold me back. All of those like phrases, I'm small, that's all, comes with such this heavy impact. I feel like people don't realize in that I, for so long, want, like, could not believe that. I would ever have anxiety or depression or have trauma based upon my dwarfism because if dwarfism is only impacts my bones, only impacts my height, you know, and I just don't feel like that's a very fair idea to give young people with dwarfism growing up that like, oh, you can do anything. You'll just have to have a step stool. Um, not in trying to be in any sort of pessimistic way of like, we all have these, lead these wonderful, beautiful lives in whatever success looks like for us, but not to negate the very real impact that we face as people who are not seen as equals in everyday life. And I feel like not speaking to that, not advocating for that, not trying to ignore the elephant in the room doesn't do anybody favors. So I do wish to someday see a shift in how we word things how we thinking about what we teach our children um but, like, i don't know just thinking of us as individuals with dwarfism as more than just oh our bones are different and we need a step stool there can be more to it than yeah i think it ignores a lot of other symptoms or it kind of like i don't know i think like i back when you said that we can do anything anyone else can do just in a different way 
I like remember like having some difficulty with like a PE thing in school or whatever. And like the teacher just kept repeating that to me. They were like, you can do anything anyone else can. And I'm like, but I can't in this situation. And you saying that over and over again doesn't make me feel better. It just makes me feel like I'm a failure as of a dwarf. Like, I don't know. But yeah, a, a very famous TV show coined that we can do anything else just in a different way. And I think it just snowballed into a very weird like not the intent versus the impact there like the intention was good and to be like accept us but like at the same time it like did it ignored a lot of other systemic and generational things and i was when you were talking about them i thought of the other one that people say a lot is i'm just small that's all and this this uh dwarf person i know posted one year and they were like can we all just stop saying that because some of us are neurodivergent some of us are black some of us have like other issues some of us have been traumatized like some like and also the acon experience um both of you and i have achondroplasia um is it's very weird it's like privilege inside of a marginalization like it's a ducking of a situation <laughs> because we are the most common and we have the least amount of health, health issues like statistically some of us do have health issues worse than others or like more health issues um, but for the most part, other than the short stature and like maybe ear tubes or what, like a back surgery once or twice in your lifetime, you probably won't have any other symptoms. And it's, I think it does do a huge discredit to people who use mobility devices, people who have like intersecting di uh, identities, people who don't fall into whatever category um to say i'm like to repeat that i'm just small that's all and like it it's it's yeah it's it's like two steps forward one step back situation like they tried so hard <laughs> like to like get information out there and do psas and then like retrospectively we're looking back on those times and be like oh those are yeah i don't know if we should have said that um and then like the whole when people would be like the M word's the same as the N word. And like, I even drank the Kool-Aid on that at one point. I was like, yeah, like that makes sense. And then it's like, wait, no, like that, I, no, most of us are white and we shouldn't be saying that. And like, it's, yeah, I think it's, it brings up a different topic of like, just the dynamics of privilege and marginalization within an LPA at the same time. Um, and yeah, you gave a good point, not within LPA, but just like the dwarfism community and how that is turns out into the verbiage we use. So thank you for bringing that one up. Um, my last question for you here is what advice would you give to individuals with dwarfism who may be struggling with their mental health or facing communication challenges? And are there any resources or strategies you would recommend? Um, to speak quickly to the topic of communication difficulties, um, I would just say, like reminder that speech therapy, speech language therapy is a tool. Um, and I have always, had the perspective of like the more useful things I could gather and put in my toolbox, the better. Um, and not one of them is more important than any of the other. 
um, but more towards mental health um, advice as a person with dwarfism to somebody else with dwarfism. Um, I wish growing up, I knew that probably a lot more people thought the same way or felt the same way I did. They just weren't talking about it. Um, and so in that delicate, like figuring out who you are, and why are you feeling the way you are and experiencing the things you are, um, like might just be coming with age, might just be coming with different experiences in your life, might be coming from genetics in your family or, or different things like that. But the things you notice that are tied to your dwarfism, reach out um, to other people with dwarfism. I found some of the most community. One, when I was actively involved in LPA, but two, just in maintaining friendships and um, um, reaching out to other people that I find are not only have dwarfism, but are living similar lives, I guess. Really benefited from having friends who are queer and have dwarfism um, to be able to talk about those intersections. Um, as I am continuing in where I am in life right now, I know I'm it will be important to me to keep contacts with people who have been moms, um, who have gone through having birth as um, a woman with dwarfism. Those will be important people for me to reach out to. So just remembering your community um, and that somebody has probably lived through something similar or felt something similar, um, even if they're not talking about it. Um, the last thing, maybe this is the last thing, I don't have a lot to say. Um, <laughs> Something I found so incredibly helpful for me, um, like I said at the beginning, I'm in therapy. I've been in therapy pretty consistently since college. Um, I have always, always found it to be beneficial to me through different seasons and stages in my life and for different reasons. Um, but with that uh, means, I have had several different therapists along the way. Um, some have been incredible in their own ways, but up until the Therapist on the right now. I never knew the impact uh, that, would have, that it would have when I found a therapist who also is disabled. Um, not only are they disabled, they're also queer. But in, I feel like searching for therapists, searching for somebody who you think you'll connect with, um, I've always wanted somebody that would be able to have that perspective. And it's just something I've never found. I think the closest I've the college therapist her sister used a wheelchair and so like she would get to sometimes talk about that but that's not her own lived experience um she talked to her as a family member or someone who's close with their sister and that's not the same disability um not that my current therapist also has work with them but just being able to share in your own lived experience your own experience with ableism um has been so monumental for me um, this may even be silly, but I remember when searching for them on my um, psychology today, great tool in finding therapists. There, I never knew would be a tag for someone who has experience with other clients with dwarfism either. Um, so that was very monumental that when I connected with this therapist, not only do we vibe really well in understanding the queer community and the disabled community, but also having previous clients who have dwarfism to draw from those experiences and those viewpoints and perspectives. Um, it's very interesting to get to kind of put my whole life out there in what I'm trying to work through and somebody to have any, even the slightest 
kind of idea or understanding or something that's worked for somebody else who also has a similar perspective as been just people. So do your work when you're researching for a therapist. Uh, I will advocate for therapy until I'm blue in the face because I think it's the best thing that has ever benefited me. Um, but even more than that, you can find somebody who not only just does their job phenomenally um, for any community, um, but somebody who can at least speak to some sort of connection with you. That's been great. I love that. I did not know there was an, a feature where you could search for a clinician that had experience working with dwarfism. That is so cool. I'll be honest. When I saw it, I screenshot it and sent it to my friend. Um, who has dwarfism and is a social worker and was like, is this a joke? Because I'd never seen it before. It's, what did it work? It was like, I lied to the little people community. And I was like, literally screenshot it. Is this a joke? And she's like, I don't know. I've never seen that before. And I'm like, I'm going to give it a shot. And I liked this therapist for a million different reasons beyond that that just showed up on their profile. But then in getting to know them and getting to talk about my experiences, finding out that they I have actually a lot of knowledge about the dwarfism community and don't have dwarfism themselves was just so shocking to me. So maybe there's only a handful out there, but um, very specific thing to be able to relate to somebody. Yeah, I love that. That's really cool. Um, I'm on psychology today and I don't even think my profile says that. So I should definitely add that because I am dwarf ally. Um, that's so cool. Oh my gosh. Uh, and you kind of like, like statistically, like we're one in 20,000 births or something, but like forever. And then it used to be 10% was like you inherited it from your parents and 90% of it was like or mutation. And now it's like switched to like mm -hmm. 70, 30, I like heard. And so like, like taking over like we're, we're having babies we're getting like we're making it so i always hope that i'm like exponential growth like we'll just eventually take over and we will be we're producing at a faster rate than the average statues <laughs> oh, hopefully there will be more clinicians that have experience supporting the community i love that courtney my dear such a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day, out of your life. Um, thank you for answering my DM and being so willing to do this for me. I really appreciate it. Um, you have no idea how much I appreciate it. But yeah, just getting to hear about your life and what all your thoughts. I think you're very educated and very well spoken. And thank you. I really appreciate your time today. Well, thank you. This has been fun. I love talking about this shit. So. You need a season okay. two. You just yeah, know where to I've been in school forever, so like we'll probably do another one. It'll be great. Hi. Thank you for joining us on our discussion today. In this episode, we tackled some sensitive subjects ranging from sexual assault, depression, and substance abuse. We know these can stir up strong feelings and emotions, so please remember to prioritize your own self-care during these conversations. 
And if you or someone you know is struggling with any of these issues, it might be helpful to reach out to a mental health professional or a support network. We genuinely appreciate the trust you've placed in us by sharing your time and emotions. Thank you for having this conversation with us.